He was the best father a boy ever had. He was just different, put it mildly. He taught me right. His mother taught him right. He's my hero because he's my daddy, and he's a hero as a daddy, but he's a cold-blooded murderer. I'm CBS 46 anchor Karen Greer, and you're listening to CSI Atlanta, the podcast. Each episode, I'll take you on a deep dive into some of Georgia's most fascinating criminal cases. I'm working alongside CBS 46 crime scene investigator extraordinaire Cheryl Mack McCollum and her team at the Cold Case Investigative Research Institute. The small ones are for tasting, but the bigger jars are y'all's to uh, dance to Lawrence Webb. But I would suggest uh, Otis Redding. When Billy Stonewall Bird and his family come into our studios, they're abuzz with details on their future whiskey distillery, Rock Solid Distillery in Winder, Georgia. Those who know Billy best call him Stony, and they know his love of good whiskey and real brandy. It's a family operation. He makes a point to give credit where it's due, saying the success of the business is in large part because of his son, Stone. He makes it all. I'm good at running my mouth. Their knowledge of whiskey comes from a family legacy that dates back to 1810, stretching through Prohibition and beyond, to when Stoney's dad, Billy Sundaybert, was running whiskey in rural Georgia. He hijacked sugar trucks out of three states continuously just to keep the supply going. They serviced all the whiskey, the good whiskey, for Georgia, South Carolina, and North Carolina for 10 years. Never could touch them. It was embarrassing for law. These were the stories Stoney grew up hearing about his family. He knew his father, Sunday, operated 30,000 liquor stalls, all disguised as chicken houses, just as his father had before him. And he knew that at some point, Sunday's illegal activity escalated to more than running moonshine. But his rock quarry told him about VFW where they had poker games. Well, my father just couldn't be beating poker. He just sunk by him in numbers. In about two hours, he'd won $5,000. He said, boys, this blast hand. And it was the guy that run the place. He called in the big guy. Uh, now, wait a minute. You don't think we're going to let you come in here and take our Cobra Boy money just like that, do you? He knew he wasn't going to get out of that money alive, so he went to feeding that money back in. He said, look, I'm back down to 500. I'm leaving this place. The guy says, that's fine, buddy. We're all friends here. And he got up and left. The next night, Sunday and his friend Willie returned. This time, they were armed and ready to get revenge. Willie said, all right, everybody against the wall. And hands up. Well, nobody moved. It's all looking at the big guy. Well, the big guy started walking towards Willie, and Daddy just, boom, shot him right in the hip with that 44, and it blowed him 10 foot before it fell, and it was a stampede getting that wall. He made everybody get butt naked, put their pants in a plastic bag and left them there like that. Over 40 people in this nightclub with no windows and one door and log chained it and left. 
It was the first time he realized how much money you could get by robbing a gambling joint. He probably made more money then in 1966 thing than any bank. You can make 200000 and they can't report it. <laughs> that is when he got to knowing that his future was uh, not in moving dirt or busting rocks. And by 1965, he bought the pool room. That pool room was practically home for Stoney. Tell Karen about when you came pretty proficient at poker yourself. Oh, hell. I, how could you not be? Uh, my father was good at poker because he was just average like me in intelligence. And he was just average at math like me in intelligence. But his ability was to read people. When you're, uh, when you're having to survive in life, his situation, you can't imagine the poverty he come up in. My situation, I was right, I never seen a, I've never watched a football game, a basketball game, or a baseball game. I can't tell you the difference between a touchdown and a score, or none of that. But what I do know is numbers, how to read people, pool, cards. I was the only kid in the first grade, tell you. The odds of pulling inside straight on any hand you want to play <laughs> with how many players. That was our relationship. He kept me with him, I mean, continuously. Now, Stony, he, he would never take me on heist or let me hear about planned hits. But a kid, you can hear stuff that you'll be whispering, but you sound like a freight train to him. So what I didn't see, I heard firsthand the next day or it being planned. And I become conditioned. He, he told a man in after a bank robbery and take a bullet out and I'd just go to bed. And the next night he'd be telling me Jack the Beanstalk. You become conditioned. He was the best father a boy ever had. He was just different, to put it mildly. By 1968, three years after Sunday opened the pool room, an underground network was taking shape in Georgia. In 1971, federal agents named them the Georgia Dixie Mafia. Through the 70s, they were responsible for moving illegal alcohol and drugs and resorting to violence to protect their own operation. Unlike other well-known mafia groups, the Dixie Mafia wasn't connected by heritage or family. They were bonded together by the desire to make money easily and quickly by any means necessary. What makes the mafia is if one of them ever says, or turns that will take the whole crowd down therein lies the power of the whole crowd to put the pressure on him you've seen these people in new york uh, mafia you know the way they carry themselves no i can relate to that it ain't nothing like that with us because we're not a, not us my father and his boys mm -hmm. they wasn't the mafia they was a group of guys that had come to learn how to make a lot of money, very easily compared to working. As Stoney tells it, Sunday gained a reputation as a man who could be trusted to carry out any crime. He robbed stores, ran whiskey, and plotted bank heists. After 1968, all those people, every time something happened, they would call him and he would take that for hire. 
It was a bank heist in 1973 that almost landed him in jail. Law enforcement had been zeroing in on Sunday and his gang when he took a call to rob the Crawford Commercial Bank in Crawford, Georgia. It was his habit to case a bank a week before he planned to rob it and to drive through town the day of the job to get eyes on police. When he rode into town, his hair was standing up on his neck. Everybody who knew my dad said he had a sixth sense. I don't say he was psychic. I'm just saying he was in such tune with his surroundings. And he had such a, he had such a mind that took the next three steps of what probably would happen. When he rode into this bank the day they was going to rob it, he said it was like a cartoon. He said if, he said at least five trucks of farmers with straw hats and look like on hee-haw and a damn gun hang over the back. He said, what's all these farmers doing in town? And then when he walked in the bank, he said there was two women and two men. And before, when he walked in and checked that bank, it was just two. And he recognized them as professionals. They had the look where they were dressed. Now, this is irony. He walked back out, told Davis and Bobby Jean, get the hell out of here, we've been set up. So they took off. Well, they went and argued with him. Oh, you're paranoid, Billy, you're paranoid, let's do it. He said, all right, take me back. I'm going to walk in there and change the $100 bill and look at it one more time. Well, he did. He said when he walked in there, he knew that he wasn't going to make it out alive. He expected him to blow him away. But he changed that $100 bill, got back out of there, got back to the car, and they hit the road. Now, while they were arguing, 15 minutes later, it come over the news that Colbert Bank had just been robbed by two different people. They shot them all to pieces. You even wrote about your dad that he robbed more banks than John Dillinger, committed more robberies than Jesse James, and killed more people than Al Capone. Instead of saying kill more people than Al Capone, I thought that sounded like a brag, so I just said an informant's worst nightmare. Gotcha. But Here's the truth is question. he killed more people than Al Capone. If someone wanted revenge or to keep another person from testifying against them in court, they called Billy Sunday Burt. He was the most trusted hitman in Georgia, and it was lucrative work. If it was an inner circle, it was $5,000. If it was one of their friends, it was $10,000. By then, he was what he was. Stoney has spent a lot of time reconciling what he knew about Sunday as a father and what he eventually learned about Sunday, the cold-blooded killer. But he never lost his morals when it comes to his family. He had just, if I could figure out how people out there have that switch and cut it on and off, if somebody could, boy, could they be rich by curing these people. There is people like this that you'll meet and you'll think is the grandest person on earth, and he is. But a switch gets turned and it comes to business or money or self-preservation, and you cannot believe what they're capable of doing. That was my daddy. He was, he was taught better. His, my grandmother was a God-fearing woman, and she told him, if I heard it once, I told him, I've heard it a million times, son, you're going to pay for what you do sevenfold. There ain't no lying in the Bible. ain't no lying in God. Now, when I was young, I had a lot of heroes, him, Harold, 
all them people I called out, I thought they were it, boy. Mm -hmm. Kind of like young people do gangsters today. Not a one of them that ain't paid dearly on this earth. And then he has to meet his maker. Now, if you don't believe there is a maker, that's your business. I personally do. Two weeks ago, a man walked up to me and he, he said, my grandson seen you up there and he told me to come home, said he'd meet us in the movie star. And I said, who's he talking about? Me? And he said, yeah. And boy, that hit me right between the eyes. If any young person thinks Billy Bird's a hero, how wrong are you? He's my hero because he's my daddy and he's a hero as a daddy, but he's a cold-blooded murderer. He killed for self-preservation, revenge, money, and for hire. There ain't nothing heroic about that. And if anybody listening or reading this, I got to ask you this. If you think it's cool to have that lifestyle, he has now met his maker. How would you like to change places with him? And I hope I got my point across. You say, I, I don't try to build him up as Superman in the general, but as a father, there was no equal. They mm -hmm. wasn't. By the 70s, Sunday's lifestyle was about to catch up to him in a way that would change his life and Stoney's forever. Next time on CSI Atlanta. He did not put his hands around the, them two old people's neck and kill them for money. If he was sitting here, he would tell you he was responsible. Until then, subscribe to CSI Atlanta, the podcast, and check out our full stories on CBS46.com. CSI Atlanta is brought to you by CBS46, WGCL in Atlanta, Georgia. This podcast is hosted by me, Karen Greer, and CBS 46 crime scene investigator Cheryl Mack McCullum. This episode produced by Rhiannon Youngbauer and Natasha Lee with sound design by Ray Merriman. <laughs>